like I say, being a Swiss army knife, you know, one day you may be the toothpick and the other day you may be the, the spoon and one day you may be the little serrated edge on that little knife. And some days you got to be them all. Hi, I'm Nell Spinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Carrie Keeling. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Nils. It's great to be here. Good to see you again. All right, Carrie. Well, I'm super excited to dig into all things leadership. But first, would you share with this audience the role that you're in today and the company that you're working for? Absolutely. So currently I'm with VMware and I'm the global head of customer success, intelligence and innovation. At VMware, I actually have three different remits. So the first is I've got the voice of customer program. And second, I have customer intelligence. And really what that means is being able to tell end-to-end data stories about your customers. And then lastly, I have customer success for SMB, so the small to medium business segment. And the reason why that's significant is because when you think about your customer pyramid, most customer success strategies focus on the top of the pyramid and you have rich relationship-driven you know, experiences with your customers that drive value realization. And I have that base layer of customers where the quantity or the volume of those customers really are, but we don't have people that are delivering really, really rich intimacy-led relationships with our customers. And so I've got the entire long tail, which is pretty giant customer segment. Well, that is in addition to the VOC, in addition to the customer intelligence, that's a big set of responsibilities there. And I want to dig into more about from a leadership perspective, how you balance all of that. But first, let's take a trip back in time. And I want to hear about how you got into your first leadership position. Oh, I love that question. So I actually tried to avoid it. (laughs) Uh, No way. All right. Now now you got to tell the story, the whole story. So a long time ago, I'm not going to tell you the year because that's, that's, we don't need to talk about my age, but I was very early in my career and I was working for what's called a CLEC. And for those of you that aren't sure what that is, before the cloud was the cloud, it was actually called the internet with a capital I. And we had companies, internet service providers that would sell connectivity, right? Now you go to a cable company or you go to your telephone company, but they had different providers. And I was working for a provider at the time. The man that I was working for was the, I can't remember, I think he was the CTO, I believe. Very beloved. Everybody in the company thought he was amazing. And I owned product management. And back then, product management isn't the same as in software. So I basically had the four P's of marketing. I had product, I had positioning, I had promotion, I had pricing. 
And so my job was to figure out how do I keep customers? How do I retain them? And how do I grow their contracts? Interesting that you should see way back when we're doing that today. Exactly. Interesting parallel. Yes, has been around for a very long time. <laughs> Super long time. And so my role at that time was really an individual contributor. I was considered a senior member, but no team. So he comes to me and he says, Carrie, I think we can scale your operations. I want you to go hire a bunch of people. And I said, what? No. <laughs> I don't want to. Why would I do that? It would be horrible to have people working for me. <laughs> you have to understand, I was really young. And he says, yes, I get it. But it's like having children. And I couldn't fathom having kids at this time in my life. And I was like, that makes it even worse. I do not. Don't make me do this. Not the best choice of words there for, for the boss. Right, right. Oh I mean, he was trying to inspire me, bless his heart. But I'll tell you, it just scared the daylights out of me. I was like, employees are like kids. I'm out. I'm not doing it. So, <laughs> so to that end, he finally, after a couple of weeks, talked me into like, actually, it's, you know, career growth. And this is a skill set that you need to develop. If you really want to, you know, continue in leadership, you got to be able to lead people. So four employees later, I was on my way to management. Love it. That's an incredible story. Such fortuitous timing on, on so many fronts with the customer success stuff, with the leadership stuff, and fascinating to where you are today. So in that first role where you initially were a little bit scared and hesitant about what this all meant. I didn't, didn't even want to get to it. Tried to avoid it. Tell us a little bit about how did you successfully navigate that situation? Obviously, you've been very successful in your career and to date. So how did you actually get through that initial transition from IC to leader? You know, if I'm honest, um, I feel like I probably could have done a better job at it. The way that I originally I got through it was I really attached myself to other people managers around me. Wanted to learn, you know, what do I do? How do I do it? What do people need? And it is a lot like, you know, it requires a lot of intuition too. You know, what do people need? How do I, you know, show up? Do I need a team meeting? Like I literally started with nothing. How do I pull people together? How do I even find somebody that I want to be, you know, that I want to have on my team? I tried really hard to just bolt myself to the senior staff. So the CEO, the CTO, the VP of marketing at the time and try to learn from them. And the reason why I say I think I could have done it better is because I depended heavily on other people to show me the ropes. But what I didn't have was a baseline for what good looked like. So when you're depending on other people to show you the ropes... Are you getting the right information? And, and I'm not saying I didn't get the right information, but what I'm saying is that I just took everything for gospel. Like George said this, therefore it must be true. Sally said this, therefore it must be true. So the baseline for what good looks like is the thing that I was missing and hindsight being what it is, that's probably the thing that I would change. That's fascinating. And I think that situation still plays itself out all day, every day in our wonderful B2B world. It's, you know, a lot of times very fast growing. Sometimes the organization isn't set up to provide that baseline or provide that structure. I'm curious, at what point later on down the line did you realize that observation and just blind gospel just wasn't going to cut it and that maybe there was a different way or a foundational layer that you wanted to get or you acquired? How did, how did you come to that realization? 
It actually didn't happen anytime soon at that point in my career, Nils. It really took me, I would say it was probably 10 years into people management when I started to take stock of different styles, different processes, how different philosophies, if you will. Because this thing called LinkedIn entered the scene. And that was when I was able to kind of get out of the bubble that I was in and start to learn from other people who were thinking about it differently. You know, they were, they were talking about people leadership. They were talking about growth and development for their employees and even those around them. They were talking about, you know, servant leadership. I don't know that it was called servant leadership back then. I can't recall when that term entered the market, but in any case, you're right. So that's when I really started to become exposed to, oh, wow, you know, and, and I did, I got to be transparent here. I, I was, I would say I was kind of in a bubble, like, you know what you're around. So I think through the power of, of social media, that was, I picked my head up and went, oh my goodness, there's so much more. That can be an incredible, like eye-opening realization, right? Like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Like that may have worked for that person, that individual, but that doesn't apply to me. And look, this person's saying something else. And there's actually a thousand different opinions on how to do this. Which one is right? And what's right for me? It's true. You know, there's a million and one books on management and leadership. And there's so many books out there that are great. But at that time in my life, I was not reading books. I was talking to people, listening to experiences, those types of things. So when I say I was in a bubble, it was probably a chosen bubble because I could have gone to, you know, management books and whatever. But for me, I felt the richness of a dialogue between leaders provided me with a lot more than pages 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Certainly. The initial crew that you were attached to, the CEO and the CTO and the VP of marketing, I mean, those are tremendous people with a lot of influence and shaped your organization. So you had a lot of trust with them anyways. Why wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't necessarily question them right from the get-go unless there was some extreme circumstance, but there was a lot of trust there. Now, fast forward a little bit and, you know, you've worked inside of large organizations as you are now with VMware. You've worked inside of small organizations at the startup level and leadership looks different in every single different place I think you <laughs> that's on your resume. So curious for the, the core themes that you've seen and embodied yourself or just observed that are really, really important. And maybe we can just break it apart between the startup world and the larger organization, more established organization, I'll call it, world. I think in the startup world, you know, some of the differences for me were really about resiliency and because change, so much change. I mean, change, they, they use this term, they, the collective they, they use this term change at the speed of business. What that means in English is fast, right? What was true yesterday is not going to be true tomorrow. You can, you can just bet your next six paychecks on that. So I think in the startup world, having resiliency and, and teaching resiliency, right? Or looking for resilient skill sets is really, really important for leadership sharing, what are we doing? How is this changing? Why is this changing? What's in it for you? That's also really critical. That's probably one of the most important things in the startup world for me. And then also being a Swiss army knife, because, you know, in leadership, a startup is not going to be funded to the point to where everybody's going to go be the VP of something, right? You may be the VP of many things or the director of many things. 
you know, yes, I mentioned resiliency, but also flexibility. And like I say, being a Swiss army knife, you know, one day you may be the toothpick and the other day you may be the, <laughs> the spoon. And one day you may be the little serrated edge on that little knife. And some days you got to be them all. Those are the biggest things that I learned. When you switch gears to a larger organization, resiliency, yes, change, absolutely. It doesn't change at the breakneck speed that, that a startup does. But I would also say communications. Becoming a professional communicator is critical. It's easy when you're in a startup because you can just grab somebody and say, hey, right, this is changing or we need to do this differently or, you know, hey, I have a new plan. But at the leadership level, when you're in a larger organization and you're in, especially when you're communicating with thousands of people, it has to be well orchestrated. It has to be clear. You have to make sure that, you know, are the words that you're using the words that you really mean? Don't confuse people. And you have to communicate frequently, by the way. So to that end, that's kind of how I saw things changed. I also think that also patience in a larger organization is really critical. And the reason why is because... You, you are dealing with so many people. For example, VMware's got 40,000 plus employees. You know, I worked at Oracle and I think at that time they had 170,000. Please don't quote me on that number, but it was, a, it was over 100,000 employees at Oracle. And so when you think about how many people are you interacting with and how many people do you need to communicate with, you're not going to just motor on and, and, you know, you have to bring the team and the company and other, you know, organizations along with you. I'm curious to dig in a little bit more on the becoming a professional communicator. And you, you hit on a couple of key points there. The fact that you're dealing with potentially thousands of people, that have, the fact that you have to be very careful with your language. But can you share a little bit more about what being a professional communicator means? Because I think there's some parallels then definitely some things that even in the startup world, leaders can take note of as well. I like that question. And this is a lesson that I've learned recently, by the way, because you never stop you never stop getting better. You never stop figuring the collective it out. So VMware promotes diversity and inclusion, and that's one of our core values. And many companies are starting, right, to look at diversity and inclusion. And I have a tendency to speak in, in colloquialisms and very colorfully. And it occurred to me that I have a global team. And I love using sports metaphors. So I'm a baseball person, love baseball. So I'm always, you know, like I'll talk about, hey, well, let's bunt. And so that means let's get some quick wins. We're going to nibble away. We're going to do this and then do that and do that. And every single time, right, we get a little bit closer to having a home run, which means that for those of you that are not familiar with American baseball, that basically means that you get a point, right? You go around all the bases and you get a point. You can get multiple points. We won't, we won't belabor how the scoring works, but... That's basically what that means. And it occurred to me, I have people from multiple countries that don't know American baseball. They have no idea what I'm talking about. They have no idea. I'm saying bunting. I'm saying we're going to, you know, let's take a double out of this one or whatever. And I saw this one day. I literally, I know I look ridiculous right now, but <laughs> I saw this in my meeting. And then, and then there were people that were typing to one another I imagine this is, you know, my imagination, but I'm imagining they're like, what is she talking about? So I internalized that and discovered, oh my goodness. So anytime I found myself using a metaphor and it still comes out by accident, 
I have to stop and then I have to define it. For those of you that aren't familiar with American baseball or for those of you that aren't familiar with American pop culture, this is what this means, right? I mean, and that's been a recent realization and it's one that that seems so trivial, but I think you just get so accustomed to communication styles. And I think that we take things for granted, right? That's a really great story and, and a perfect example of how easy it can be to just assume that everybody else knows what you know. And not even remembering, sometimes it's just for no other reason than you forget that you're talking with people who don't even live in the United States. And even in the United States, there's only a small percentage or a percentage of the population that pays attention or has any idea what any parts of baseball actually mean. So that's really, really good story. Totally true. I think there's another thing that I just want to add one other piece. So that was a recent learning and then I had another recent learning and I, and I have to laugh because it is top of mind for me is not taking an inventory of all the people that need to be communicated with in a larger organization you're going to do something, you're going to build something, you're going to send something out, you have a new strategy, you want to teach somebody something, it doesn't matter, right? Insert activity here. Usually in a startup, right, you can blast out and people get it. You got 100 and 200 people. They're like, yep, got an email from Nils. I'm on the same page. Here we go, right? We're going to go do whatever the thing is. In a larger organization, you actually have to be thoughtful with who am I communicating with? Not just what am I communicating, but who am I communicating with? And I can't tell you how many times I have looked over certain teams or just simply it hasn't even occurred to me that one other team may need to know what it is that that, you know, I'm doing or I'm trying to communicate with other teams. You know, also, that's something that's really, really important and a distinction between a larger organization versus a smaller. Yeah, love it. really great point. And that being overlooked or even in a startup, it doesn't feel very good. Granted, chances of it happening are a little bit less than having a team just, you know, inadvertently, no no ill will or intent on, on anybody's part, but inadvertently left out of some communication, then something of that project ends up involving that team and then they're out of the loop and then you got to go spend 10x the amount of time to go bring them back up to speed, right? It's true. It's true. Or to your point, it doesn't feel very good, right? Imagine that you're the individual who, and it is innocent, quite honestly, 100% of the time, I've never seen anything that's on purpose, right? It's just, oh, I didn't know that you needed to know that, of course, you know, but you also have to make sure that, you know, that that person realizes, oh my goodness, please understand no ill will. Yes. You've got a seat at my table. We are colleagues. We are doing this together and I will fix this going forward so that it doesn't happen again. Right. So I think that that's something that's really, really important that you cover off on. If you do make the same mistakes that I've made. Thank you for sharing because it's real. Yeah, it happens. If it's going to happen again, I'm sure of it. It always does. <laughs> Right, exactly. As long as we are working with people and as long as we're working with ourselves, which is pretty much going to be forever, we'll make mistakes. That's it. And and, it, and it's so good to be able to acknowledge that and not treat it as, a, you know, something, a taboo subject or I'm not capable or you're not capable or whatever. It just is part of human nature. We're going to screw up. It's okay. Especially in leadership. Okay. But coming back to how you handle it, I think it's back to your point about being a professional communicator. So you plan as much as you can to avoid the potential mistakes, but you're going to make mistakes, especially in communication. And then you handle it in a professional manner that builds, rebuilds the trust that probably you lost. 
Yeah, it's so true because we as leaders, we are not our mistakes. But if we can't learn from them and improve by them, that's the, that's the delta between, right? Growth mindset. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. All right, so we've talked about you know what leadership looks like at the earlier stage companies, fast-growing environments. We talked about contrasted that with what it looks like inside of the larger organizations. There's definitely some parallels here. I'm curious for you know the leaders within your organization, and not just necessarily today, but the people you've worked with and for in the past at Oracle, at Blue Nose, at VMware today, right? At that, your CEO at the very, very beginning, who you know, and your VP who wanted you to take this leadership position on. What are you, would you say are some of the key characteristics that you've seen be incredibly important in the people that you have admired most from a leadership perspective? So first, humility. So we talked about we are not our mistakes, right? There are many leaders who would rather die than admit that they made a mistake or that maybe made a bad decision. In my opinion, that's not very leadery of someone, if you'll forgive the term. You know, somebody that doesn't take themselves too seriously is a critical attribute of somebody who is a really solid leader. Because that is the mind of a person who says, yeah, okay, I get it. I could have done it better. I could have done it differently. Or I'm going to take some of this experience because that worked really well. I'm going to leave the rest behind. I had another experience. We tried it this way. I'm going to grab that. And I'm going to leave the rest behind. And now I'm going to combine it and hope that I even get a better outcome, right? So I think that's really that's really critical. Um, I also think that somebody from a, from a leadership perspective, I think somebody that's got a really high IQ or EQ because we're dealing with people and people have feelings, they have thoughts, they have families, they have personal problems, they have personal needs, they have personal goals. And if you can't relate to that as a leader, it's going to be really, really hard for you to build deep and rich relationships with the people around you. So I think EQ is really, and I don't just mean charisma, by the way, how do you connect hearts and minds with the people around you? I would say that attribute is quite rare. The other thing again, is a good communicator. Where's my value? What am I doing? What's my seat on the bus? And by the way, where's this bus going and how do I grow? I think, you know, that is really, really important. So somebody that can be very clear and very transparent, this is where we're going. Here's the finish line. You're sitting in seat number four and, and I see your role as this. And again, you'd be surprised how many people don't do that. They hire a team member for a role and there you sail off into the sunset doing yeah. the role. <laughs> <laughs> The box is checked. The problem is solved. I can move on to something else. <laughs> That's right. That's right. This has been taken care of. And so a lot of that, it ends up getting to 
you, that's where you start leaving people behind if you're not careful. Those, I think, are the three top attributes that I look for in a good leader. There's also business attributes, right? Don't get me wrong. There's, there's, you know, somebody that's financially savvy. There's somebody who's been there, done that. There's somebody that knows their craft, right? So I live in the customer success world. I'm looking for a real strong chief customer officer or a real strong board of directors or CEO or CXO type staff. I kind of look at those as more mechanics. For me, I think a leader is really more about the soft skills. So I love you highlighted humility, own your mistakes, and don't take yourself too seriously. High EQ, like understanding that people are human. We all have feelings, we all have thoughts, we all have families, being able to connect with them and then connect the hearts and minds. And being a professional communicator, understanding where's the bus going? Who are these people in the seats on the bus? What roles do they play? And leadership is not about hiring somebody to run a particular division and then saying, I'll see you later. Thanks. <laughs> That's just the starting point is getting them on the bus. But for them to stay on and to be a really active part, you have to continuously be communicating with them and working with them and partnering with them to help make it all make sense. Because there is, there is some adage, and I've, I've had conversations, I don't think you and I have touched on this before, but I've had conversations with others, and there's a very well-known entrepreneur who has this quote about, you know, I hire great people and then I get out of their way. I'm curious for your take on that. I'll share my opinion, but just that kind of sentiment that my job is to hire incredible people and then get out of their way and let them do what they do. What do you think about that from a leadership perspective? Ish. I think Ish. <laughs> I mean, I think there's something to be said for getting out of the way. I guess it depends on how you interpret the adage. And by that, I mean, don't micromanage. Nobody needs their boss to be in their business inspecting every little thing every minute of the day. Nobody needs to be, you know, be inventoried about the number of times that they saw their team member at the water cooler or away from their desk, right? I think those days are, are kind of over. If we're to look through it through that lens, I would agree. I would say, yeah, get out of their way. Go let them do. But getting out of their way doesn't mean being completely absent, right? Because the laissez-faire management style doesn't work either. If your definition of getting out of the way is I'm here if you get stuck and past that you're on your own, that's going to be really hard for your team member or team members to get job satisfaction, to be able to work to their his or her personal best every single day, to be able to grow, to be able to you know learn or even experiment or even fail quickly. How do you help somebody along if you're not absent? I mean, people are going to make mistakes as well. And, and quite honestly, I want that to happen. I don't want my team to fail, but I do want them to make mistakes. And I want them because in my mind, they're pushing the boundaries of what the possibilities are. Great. Yeah. Go break stuff. Like, let's figure it out. Bang. Oh, we shouldn't have done that. Let's go do something different. So I really think that those types of environments are great. And the leader bears the burden of creating those environments and coaching through those environments. I agree. I, I had a feeling we'd be pretty well aligned on that. Are we, are we aligned? Well, how do you think about that added? I didn't actually think about it before from the micromanagement perspective. I typically thought about it the latter version of what you were saying. And if you believe that your job is to simply get people on the bus and then leave them alone, I think it leaves an awful lot because let's look at the greatest and most productive people in the world. What do they have? They have people that partner with them 
that coached them, that set uh, incredibly aggressive goals and objectives with them, and then hold them accountable. Like people love to be held accountable, regardless of the fact that most people tell you they don't want to be held accountable. It just depends on what you're holding them accountable to. And how you're doing it. And how you're doing it. hundred percent. Yes. There's, there's a secret sauce to accountability that is, is of the utmost importance, but when done right, right, you get tremendous results that you would not get on your own. And I think everybody, I've had this experience. I'm sure you have our listeners at some point in your personal and professional life, there's been some time period or something that you accomplished that you probably never thought you could accomplish, or you accomplished more in a period of time that you never thought was possible. And if you look back at that particular time, there's a good chance that accountability played a significant role in that, whatever form or fashion it was, whatever the context doesn't matter. But accountability is one of those things that drives us forward is why the best people in the top of their game, whatever it is, whether it's professional baseball, sports, um, even uh, presidents and CEOs and all things, that's why they have coaches. They want people to drive them and to help hold them accountable to achieve what they set out their objectives to. So that's usually my main beef with that, um, or conflict, I should say, to not use uh, a, a general term like you said. That was a very good point. That's my main conflict with that quote. I did interpret it as, okay, well, my job is done when they get on board, but I don't think that's the case at all. And I think it leaves an awful lot if, if that happens. Yeah, I could not agree more. For me, I think there's a level of guilt if I'm not around enough or if I'm not as accessible, I feel poorly about it. I start to worry about my team and now I got to make phone calls. Are you okay? How are you doing? Right? Is there anything I can do for you? Right? <laughs> and and we've, we've all been there, right? Where we did have the absent boss who was like, what? What does this person even do here? I don't know. And that doesn't build a lot of trust with not only the boss, but the company itself, because the company is saying this person is is responsible from a leadership perspective for this group or team or organization, whatever. And if that doesn't line up with what we think should happen, it's kind of a hard thing to rationalize in our minds. Yeah, yeah, it's true. All right. So I got one more question for you. Let's take a trip back in the time machine and you could sit down with your Carrie earlier self when you were at that point at which that manager, your VP came to you and said, hey, I think we could scale your organization. Let's hire some people. And you initially were scared, but you could sit down and right in that moment when that VP said those words, you could freeze time and sit down and have a conversation with you at that point in time, knowing everything that you know now, all of your experience, your entire career, incredible work you've done on a personal and professional level. What advice would you share with your younger self? It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Simple, straight to the point. <laughs> You're going to make mistakes. It's going to be okay. They don't define you. You're going to learn and it's okay, right? If you don't learn, it's not okay. But <laughs> so stay on the learning side of, of the education. You're going to grow and that's going to be okay. And employees are not like kids. No matter what people say, they're not like kids. You know, don't demean your team. They're not kids. It's not like raising kids, right? And through that lens, it's going to be okay. Because back in my life, at that time in my life, I was terrified of children and anything that had anything to do with children. So that's going to be okay. And then also, I would say outside of that's going to be okay, trust yourself. I experienced, and I'm probably going to overshare and be maybe a little publicly vulnerable here, but... 
you know, there are people who say leadership can be a very lonely place and it can be a very lonely thing. And the reason why is because, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of share what you're thinking with the people that you work with. Sometimes what you're thinking could be scary to other people. Sometimes what you're thinking, you know, may make that leader feel weak or vulnerable or whatnot. And sometimes, you know, leaders don't always know, am I making the right decision? Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right things? So then we have a tendency to overthink things. That's what I mean by trust yourself, because, you know, we all have good instincts and we all have really good intentions. And if you lean in with the best that you can possibly do for your team and the best that you can be for your team, the days when you're not your greatest or the days where you're like, you know, I could have done that better. Those days they're easier and, and that's makes it okay. Right. So trust yourself. Love it. It'll be okay. Trust yourself. Lean in and do the best you can do. That's all we can, all we can hope for. Fantastic. But remember that your team needs you. Regardless of size, regardless of location, regardless of domain, discipline, company, doesn't matter. Your team needs you. If you lead with them and their best interest in mind, you can't go wrong. Wonderful advice. All right. It's been awesome to catch up and talk leadership with you. One of our favorite topics. So thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your incredible experience, advice, expertise, your insights. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see what comes next for you. And we'll have to do a follow-up episode in the future if you're open to it. I'm in. Let's do it. Thanks so much, Nils. It's been great. Take care. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.